Organizations that fail to study how they addressed a crisis can run the risk of repeating the mistakes they made in managing the situation. I'm Edward Siegel, author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. I'm also a leadership strategy senior contributor for Forbes.com. In today's episode, communications consultant Kim Crowder shares her advice on when and how to track responses to a crisis and who should be part of this important process. Hi, Kim. Welcome to Crisis Ahead. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your background and experience uh, dealing with crisis situations. Yeah, my background is in marketing, (laughs) marketing communications. I got my degree in that and have worked in every so many industries, including um, sports entertainment. That's where I started right out of college. Lots of crisis. That's where I really cut my teeth around crisis communications when you're talking about sports or a major sports, um, major sports complex moved into uh, healthcare, as you can imagine, crisis there, uh, Fortune 500 retail company, nonprofit, and uh, government work. And so uh, really got you know, thrown into crisis comms without sort of any formal training. And then over the years, after you go through that, once you understand why it's so desperately needed to not only document, but to learn from those crises. I think most people think that can never happen to me. And then when it does, (laughs) you don't have a plan. You go, oh gosh, it's happening now. What? And so that is uh, why I'm deeply passionate about having that plan in place. So assuming an organization does not bury their report or throw it away or put it in the safe, never to be seen again, what steps should they take to incorporate the lessons from the documentation into their existing or new uh, crisis management and crisis communications plans. Yeah, what steps should they take to implement? I like that question. You know, one thing that where we see organizations struggle because it is often a um, looking in the mirror and uh, sometimes maybe missing some things, right? one of the things that we have seen be so powerful uh, with organizations is when they can translate data into action. And so I'll give you a, a strong example of working in uh, uh, the government sector and we were going through buying uh, a property and it was moving into public domain particularly in a black neighborhood, a historically black neighborhood where those folks were deeply committed. Many people had been there 40, you know, 40 years, right? You have these pioneers uh, or these staples in those communities who had thoughts. And there were opportunities that were missed to have conversations with those community members and to see ourselves as secondary, right? As secondary to the conversation. There were also things that we did really great where we had open and public forums around conversation. Well, Kim, there are different kinds of crises that companies and organizations are dealing with today that were never on their radar screen five or 10 years ago. How should companies and organizations account for these different types of new crises when they're documenting a crisis or when they're preparing for the next one? 
Yeah, you know, as organizations are thinking about crisis right now, it is so important to understand all of the channels of communication and how that could impact the organization. So whether we're talking about social media or a memo or whether or not we are talking about the language that team members use to make sure you truly understand that. And also on the flip side, I'm, I alluded to that, or I think I was pretty clear on that before, that the conversation about inclusion is a big one right now. And it is interesting because we're seeing large organizations still misstep in that area. And we're also seeing organizations that are completely soaring. And so really for those organizations who are wanting to avoid those sorts of missteps is to think about at this point, where are your vulnerabilities? Internally with your team members, do you have team members who could identify areas of concern that could turn into crisis for the organization? That is deeply important if you don't have those teams, particularly team members, teams themselves that have folks with diverse backgrounds or having a partner who could take a look at that. That is extremely important as part of this conversation. That last thing I'm going to say is that organizations are more global now, you know, now more than ever, right? Uh, many people, many organizations are expanding. Many people don't sit on the same soil as the headquarters of the organization, or even if they sit in the same country, they may sit in a different uh, location. Uh, they may sit in a, a different region. Understand that the ways of communication could shift based on geography for how you are sharing that information. While that may not mean on the social media platform, it could be different at that uh, consumer and that customer level, that frontline level, right? And the ways that people receive that information, that could be based on education. It could be based on culture of that particular place. And so understanding that is going to be deeply important. And what I'm really saying is, is to be more customized, be more prescriptive, instead of sort of wanting to blanket the ways in which crisis communications is going to happen at this general level and understand that things need to be different now because people have more nuanced uh, expectations of what comes from organizations around their communications and how they handle it. Well, given all of your crisis management experience, uh, how often uh, have you or your clients documented the crisis that they just went through? Yeah, you know what? I find in the midst of things, because people are moving so quickly, that often organizations are not documenting crisis because two things. One, organizations think that crisis means everything burned down. And that is not necessarily the case, right? Crisis, there are uh, different degrees and levels to crisis. And so when we think about that, sometimes organizations don't even realize they went through a crisis. And so they don't document it. And then on the flip side, when they do go through the major ones, sometimes it's just enough to get past it that they don't necessarily write everything down in the process or trickle down the communication with other team members on how to document their experiences. So it's not just at the leadership level where people need to understand what that is for. They also you know, understand what documentation looks like. It's also team members who need to be able to share their own experiences and oftentimes their solutions. Is there a template that you use or recommend others follow when they're documenting a crisis? 
You know, it's a good question around a template. I would say, I don't know if it's so much of a template, but I do know there are some indicators as to what you want to document. So let me give you three of those. The first one is in that specific event, right? When you look at your own crisis, what what exactly is happening? What has been the communications process around uh, who heard about it first? Or if someone hears about it, where do they go? That sort of thing. So really getting practical, right? What are the behaviors that need to take place during a crisis? Uh, that second thing is this, if it haven't, hasn't happened to you, or your organization, has it happened to another organization like you or in your industry? And if that is the case, then build it based on that. Take a look at what they what they have done or did do or didn't do, right? It's a really great way to test it without having to go through it, right? Without having to um, actually experience it. And then that last thing I would say is um, to really think about a partner who can look at this from the outside in. Because oftentimes, you, you know, it's sort of not being, it's almost like not being able to truly see yourself. You know how you can write an email and there's like five misspelled words and you thought you were doing really great. And then you look at it 20 minutes later and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all of that was in it or someone else tells you. And so it is um, having some sort of relationship with a partner who can come in and help guide building that plan to think of things that maybe you, you might miss. Well, you raise a very important point in terms of who should actually be doing the documenting or evaluating a crisis. Uh, it, doesn't a company risk their credibility uh, if they decide to investigate or document their own crisis? Or should they always look for outside counsel or experts uh, to do the job for them? You know, I, I actually believe that it is really helpful, even if you don't have an outside expert who actually lays out that plan, at least someone to audit that plan and pr to provide feedback. You, you can certainly do it internally. I think that's fine. And I don't think you lose credibility because who knows that you didn't do it, right? Nobody knows except for your team that you didn't do it. But I, here's what I will tell you. There are companies, more companies who've been in a crisis who wish that they would have done it and had some support rather than the other side. And we've seen that as of late, uh, particularly around uh, when we talk about inclusion with major organizations where you'd assume, Edward, myself, and you would assume they've got a whole team, right? Or they've got like people that are contracted who would totally catch that. And we're seeing organizations like Budweiser, like Target, um, who have been in the midst, Levi's, who have been in the midst, Dove, like I could go on and on of things that were missed by likely their internal team, but maybe their partners who weren't experienced in understanding that specific area uh, in ways that can mitigate risk. Well, Kim, in the government sector, there are certainly examples of government agencies doing internal reviews and announcing the results of that documentation. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention comes to mind when in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, they admitted they didn't do such a good job in dealing with the crisis and they were going to be taking steps to make uh, reforms and improvements to what they do and how they do it for future crisis situations. Do you think that approach um, should be copied in the private sector and are there lessons to be learned from the federal government that should be implemented in uh, private companies and organizations? Yeah, Edward, you know, first I want to say that is such a powerful question and thank you for asking it. Yes, I, what I love about that public transparency 
uh, it's two things. One, as I mentioned, it, it does provide transparency, which then in turn creates some level of trust, right? And also says that we're going to be accountable in the future. And it also says that we can be reflective, self-reflective of areas that we didn't get it right. Those are three major, major tools in building any kind of communications at baseline, right? Just at baseline on top of a crisis. And so if organizations are willing to do that time and time again, over time, provide the openness to the public and even take public feedback where where applicable, that is really a powerful way uh, again, to you have another testing ground, but you also have said, hey, we didn't get it right. And here's the things that we would do differently. So now when folks like myself and you are going to be in the, you know, if we ever get in, we're ever in the midst of some sort of crisis like this again, we know what to expect from this organization because they've already laid the groundwork about ways that they have determined that they need to grow moving forward. When's the best time to document the crisis? Do you think the steps should be taken while the crisis is actually unfolding to write down you know, the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how of what's happening? Or should some time elapse from the time the crisis ends to when the documentation should be prepared? Yeah, you know, I think about times when we were in the midst of crisis that we just didn't have the time. We, would, we wouldn't have not had the time to document during, we, nor would we have would have had the uh, emotional and mental space and energy to do so. So during, if you can, if you can sort of note things in your phone, oh, you know, I would do it that way next time, but nothing too formal, right? Because really all of the energy and time needs to be focused on the crisis. Now, here's what I say. I do say, when that crisis is over, do a brain dump. Just do a brain dump. Again, it doesn't have to be formal. And then give yourself a little space to get past it emotionally. Because if you've ever been in the midst of a crisis, it is emotionally taxing. Get away from it for about a week and then come back with your team and go through that brain dump. Have a document in place where team members can put details in that same document and have someone who can take a look at that information and put it, you know, put it in a way where you all can then discuss it moving forward. And so I actually say distance yourself a little bit because time is a great reflector. Time allows you to take a step back and to really think about things you would have changed, but it also allows you space for calm so that once you are in the midst of reevaluating, that you can then be creative about solutions instead of being in that high stress crisis mode. You mentioned putting together a team. Do you think in the private sector and in the government sector, uh, teams of people, uh, experts from different part of an organization should be part of that uh, evaluation and documentation team, or should it fall on the shoulders of uh, the top uh, executive or one or two of uh, his or her uh, uh, top lieutenants? Yeah, you know, that is such a powerful thought about that. I think many moons ago, right, that we would have said it's fine for just the PR team, for instance, or the leadership team to be involved. Now, because of social media, it is now more important than ever that you have different perspectives from different teams. And the reason why is one, the ways that they're interacting with the world can be very different. So you think about somebody who's frontline, who's hearing from customers, 
their experiences and their insight is going to be very different than somebody who handles social media or from a CEO, right? Who may often not have a lot of connection with customers, but may have a lot of connection with the board, right? Other stakeholders at that C-suite level. And so I believe it's deeply important to have a team at different levels who have different points of views around this, different backgrounds, different uh, different ways of thinking about what can be solutions so that you can cover all ground and have, you know, again, provide testing ground uh, for ways for people to, you know, be open to people saying, hey, I don't know if that's going to work, or at least at this level, it doesn't work. That sounds really great. That language, that approach sounds really great at that level, but your frontline workers are not going to connect with that, nor are they going to be able to pull from that immediately. Here's what's needed. So again, you can have a more holistic viewpoint around your crisis comms plan. Those teams, of course, could become very unwieldy if they're too large. Do you think there's an optimal number of people who should be uh, involved in documenting the crisis? Yeah, that's an interesting question around <laughs> number of people. I don't know if I have a necessarily number of pe- necessarily a number of people. I will say, unless they are um, two way two things. One, can you get feedback in ways that streamlines? how that feedback is coming coming to you. So it could be a survey that is multiple choice, right? So they have to choose something in particular. And then from there, you can pull that data and use it on a grander scale while you have a representative who can speak on behalf, who has a deep understanding, who can speak on behalf. And then that second thing is, is unless people are absolutely necessary to the conversation. So deciding what departments is it hitting, right? So I'll give you an example, Edward. You have, I mentioned frontline customer service. Does that mean you need somebody from finance in the conversation? Not necessarily, unless it directly is impacting, you know, how you show up in the stock, you know, in the stock market or or you know, financially you're seeing a financial hit. And that is even very different than the actual comms piece of it. And so really think about this team as who's essential to this conversation and are there ways to get feedback in ways that don't have everyone in the room, but that you can still take the wisdom and the guidance uh, from other groups without, again, getting too muddled up in in not being able to make a decision because there's just too many voices. Depending on the nature and extent of the crisis, there could be a lot of people who are criticizing the way a government agency or a company or organization in the private sector handled a crisis. To what extent do you think an organization should reach out to those critics and make them part of the evaluation team to get that perspective? I think that's deeply important. Again, as I mentioned it, there's there's room and ways to do that. Maybe where everyone's not in the same in the same space, you could run focus groups. I do think that that's important. And then you could also again do a digital version of that so that you can take all of that data and move it over uh, into being able to create a uh, opportunity for growth. So yes, I do believe that when it's applicable, bring in those critics, anyone who can pressure test your process is going to be extremely valuable in uh, not just in the moment of crisis, but before and after. Well, Kim, we're almost out of time today, but before we close, what's the most important thing people should remember about documenting a crisis? 
The most important thing that people should remember about documenting a crisis is that you're going to have to be uncomfortable with creating something that is going to have to change over time. And that really you don't know if a communications plan or a crisis communications plan is concrete until you use it. And so until you use it, you won't know whether it's fully whole in what you need. And so be comfortable with knowing that there may be missteps and that it may not be perfect, but you can at least create a strong foundation to move forward from. Well, for those who had not even thought until today about why they should document a crisis, what's the most important thing you want them to keep in mind when they have the next crisis? Yeah, well, two things. One, just because a crisis hadn't happened yet doesn't mean it can't happen. So that's you know, important to remember. And then if you haven't documented from the past, one thing is to consider is who's in the organization still, right? And so do you have team members who were just not present for that last one? That means they don't know how it was handled. And you always want to make sure that the way you handle it, that process is proprietary within the organization which means it's not connected to a person. It's a, a best practice for making sure that you are lo really looking at what, you know, how can we be uh, prepared for this in ways that if someone leaves this organization, all of a sudden we don't have anything. And so really thinking about it from that perspective. And here's also what I want to offer to remember that this does not have to be done in two days or three days or even a week, that you can build this crisis communications plan over time. And so remember that, right? I think it could feel really big and mammoth for people who think, oh my gosh, we just need to get this done. But what if you gave yourself three months to get this completed? What could you do in the meantime, in order to get there. But I will caution against not having this in place because whether or not you ever need it, you'll, you'll prefer to want it. Just like insurance, right? You're like, maybe I won't get insurance. and But the minute you think you don't need it, you will. And it, it can be extremely helpful in the long run. Thanks again for being with me today on Crisis Ahead, Kim. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's it for this edition of Crisis Ahead. My guest today was communication consultant Kim Crowder. Be sure to come back next week for more advice and insights on preparing for, managing, and recovering from a crisis, or subscribe to Crisis Ahead wherever you get podcasts. Each week, I interview government officials, corporate executives, and experts who share their advice and insights about a variety of crisis management and crisis communication topics. My guests on future shows will discuss how different leadership styles can impact the way organizations manage a crisis, how to respond to different worst-case crisis scenarios, and how to work with news organizations during crisis situations. And be sure to follow me on Forbes.com, where I'm a leadership strategy senior contributor writing about crisis-related news, topics, and issues. For more information, visit my website at publicrelations.com. Remember, it's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your organization or company, it's when. And the sooner you are prepared for it, the better. Produced by HeartCast Media.